Let's open up to Luke 18. We're looking at the story of the rich young ruler, and we just couldn't finish it last week, so we'll continue it this week as uh, we're just about to finish. Next week, we'll finish Luke 18, and then that'll put us in Luke 19, which is the story of Palm Sunday, and that, that's coming. So right on schedule for Luke, we'll be uh, at Palm Sunday for Palm Sunday. But let's look at Luke 18, 18. We'll bring the verses up uh, as we just review what we went over last week a little bit. And we read, a certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We call this the rich young ruler because uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you put them together. Only uh, Luke tells us he was a ruler. And we come up with the young, rich, or the rich, young ruler. Probably a Jewish ruler because of the questions he's asking. And he uh, says to Jesus something very unusual. Uh, the, the other Gospels tell us he ran up to him and he kneeled down. And he calls Jesus good teacher. It might not be unusual to us. We think, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. He's a great teacher. But the Jews never called men good, because they believe that only God is good. So for this ruler, religious ruler probably, to call Jesus good, is he saying, I understand who you are? Good, good teacher, what, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That was the question we talked about last week. We talked about how all the religions of the world are asking, what do I have to do to have eternal life. I've got to do stuff. All the religions of the world are the same, but uh, following Jesus is not what we have to do. The message of Jesus is what he did for us, that we can't do anything to take away our sin. We can't be good enough that takes away our sin. It's why Jesus came to finish the work at the cross. And so Jesus said to him, verse 19, why do you call me good? No, no one is good, but one, that is God. Are, do, you, do, you, do you know who you're talking to? Are you able to discern that God is in the flesh talking to you? And you, you want to know what to do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments, verse 20, do not commit adultery. So if you want to do, do, do these things. Don't murder do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. So these are all the commandments on what is called the second tablet of the law, the Ten Commandments. First tablet is man's relationship with God. That's always first in our life if, if uh, our life is ordered correctly. Second tablet is our relationship with our fellow man. If this is right, then this will always be right. And so Jesus quotes all of these from the second tablet, and last week we talked about this rich young ruler's response and how the Jewish people were interpreting the law incorrectly, and we won't go into that again today, but they were interpreting the law to, to think that they were completely right with God when the law is supposed to show you that you're guilty before God. And so uh, this man, totally immersed in the culture of the day, he said, verse 21, all these things I've kept from my youth. I'm blameless. You, want, you tell me to do these things? I've, I've done all these things. And what we see here is that this rich young ruler was searching. He had riches. He had youth. You could even say he was very uh, um, 
you know, enthusiastic. He came running up to Jesus and kneeling down. He's rich, he's youthful, he's energetic, he's enthusiastic, he has power, or you could say, if you didn't say power, you could say he has position, he's religious, and yet he knows there's got to be more. You know, religion doesn't save you. Religion doesn't uh, change your heart. Religion doesn't heal you, but Jesus does. It's possible to be religious and you've never had a change of heart. You've never been healed. You've never been set free. And so uh, this man, he knows that uh, there's got to be more. I've done all these things. There's 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 got to be more. And so verse 22, when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, and we uh, brought this up last week, and we put it in parentheses there, that Mark tells us something that we want to know when we're reading Luke. Mark tells us that, that Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He just pictured Jesus looking at this, this man. Just, just, he, he came to die for this man. And he just looked at him, and he, just, and he loved him. He was going to the cross for this man. And, and don't you know that, um, you know that the Lord, this morning, he's looking at you. Maybe you're someone that's searching, and the Lord is just looking. His, his eye is on you. He loves you. He, dies, he died for you. You haven't received that yet. But the, the Lord's eye is on you. He, he loves you, and he wants to do a work where the day will come where you'll look at him and you'll reciprocate. You'll love him in response. We love him because he first loved us. But Jesus heard these things. He said to him, and he just looked at the man who was trying to do enough. And you could never do enough to be right with God. And this man didn't know that. Jesus knew that. And, and he loved him. And he, he just, instead of talking about the law and, and how the law shows us that we're guilty, Jesus just goes straight to the heart of the issue. And he, he goes to the first commandment, the first tablet of the law, and he says to this man, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So that you still lack one thing, and we'll leave that up for a minute. That's, that's a reference to the first commandment. Actually, the thing you're missing is the very first thing. Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. And it's, it's interesting that when you read about the law in the Old Testament, it says that God wrote the law in stone with his finger. And it's interesting because here God in the flesh is putting, Jesus is putting his finger on this young rich man's sin. It's the sin of idolatry. He was living for riches. He was living for earthly treasure instead of eternal treasure. His sin was not that he possessed possessions. Right? His sin was that his possessions were possessing him. And that's why the Lord says to him, you know what you're lacking? You got, there's a sin problem in your life. God's not first in your life. Possessions, riches are first in your life. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. He didn't have treasure in heaven at this point. 
and come and follow me. So this becomes a, a verse we looked at last week, and it, it opens the, the question that we asked. So, so is, this, is this the gospel? Do I have to sell all that I have and distribute it to the poor and come and follow Jesus? Is that the gospel? Why would that be the gospel for him and not the gospel for us? Is this the gospel? And we answered it last week. The answer is yes, it is the gospel and no. It's yes, that this, this is what this man needed to repent of. The gospel calls us to repent, to turn from our sin. This was his sin. This isn't necessarily the same call that Jesus gives over and over, but he calls each of us differently where we have to put aside the sin that we're living for. The idolatry has to we have to set it aside and make God first. And the gospel calls us, we saw last week, we won't look at it again, but the, the gospel always calls us to come to Jesus. You can't be saved. You can go to church for a long time and not be saved because you haven't yet come to the person of Jesus. And to be saved, you have to, to have eternal life, you have to follow Jesus. You're not just following truth. Like, what are the truths I need to know? He died and rose again and was buried. I mean, what, it's not just truth. It's, you have to come to Jesus. You have to follow Jesus, the person. And then we read on as we're reviewing a little bit. Verse 23, but when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. The, the other gospels tell us he went away very sorrowful, for he was a very rich man. So even though he was very rich, it wasn't satisfying him. He went away very sorrowful. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to inherit the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, like a sewing needle. It was a proverb of the day. Pretty hard for a camel to go through a, a, a sewing, the eye of a sewing needle. And Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. And it's interesting that we often in our culture, we think that poverty is a problem that needs solved. That's just kind of our culture, like poverty is bad. We need to solve the issue of poverty. But it's interesting, according to Jesus, that a wealth is a problem spiritually, why is it so hard for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God? Because it's so easy for rich people to trust in their money instead of trusting in the Lord. Right? It's, it's very difficult for rich people not to trust in their money and for their full trust to be in the Lord. It's, it's very difficult for people that are rich to not be so satisfied with everything they can possess that they don't hunger for the things that God has for them. It's easy for a rich man to be self-sufficient and not need the Lord. It's, it's, very, it's very difficult for a rich man that a lot of times a rich person has security, but it, it's a false security. They're secure because of their retirement. They're secure because of their bank account. They're secure because of their, their, you know, their portfolio. But it's a false security, not causing them to be secure in the Lord. They can become prideful. 
And, you know, the, the, Paul would say, what does a man have but that which he's received from the Lord? If you have riches, you've received it from the Lord. So why do you boast as if you'd not received it from the Lord? And, and people with great riches, assets, possessions, it can be very difficult for them not to become prideful. It can be very difficult for them, the, the blessing that they have, they're very blessed. It can be very difficult for a rich person to think because I'm blessed financially, God approves of my lifestyle. He approves of my character because I'm blessed. But just because you're financially secure doesn't mean that your lifestyle or your character or your behavior is correct. It's, It's very difficult for rich people. And that's what Jesus is referencing. Now, last week we read 1 Timothy And the first half of 1 Timothy 6 talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. Man, if you can be godly, if you can be content, you are so wealthy. If you can have the Lord and be content with a simple life and you don't always need more, I always got to have more, I always got to have the next purchase, the next big thing to be content. If you can be godly and be content, that's That's actually true riches. Just enjoying the simplest things, hummus and vegetables, or a simple, you know, date together, a walk, just a simple meal together, simple things. Man, that's true riches. But then we read last week that when you desire to be rich... That can lead you into all kinds of temptation and all kinds of decision-making. That greediness can lead you into all kinds of things that will destroy you, your marriage, your family, your life. And then we left off last week where it's not a warning to those who desire to be rich, but then in what we're going to bring up is now uh, Paul commanding. It's pretty interesting that he commands, verse 17 of chapter 6. Paul's telling Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age. They may be rich, but make sure they understand that it's, it's only in this present age that they're rich. Speak to them with authority about being rich in the age to come. And, and it, some of the things we already talked about, command them not to be haughty or, or prideful, nor to trust in uncertain riches, right? Riches are uncertain. They can be here today, gone tomorrow. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but, but it's such a good word, but in the living God. And then I love this. This is, this is so beautiful. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. If God has blessed you with riches, enjoy it. Enjoy it to the glory of God. You have a ski boat? Boat unto the Lord. Boat to the glory of God. You have a, you know, whatever you have, whatever God's given you, enjoy it. Bring glory to God by enjoying the things he's blessed you with. And verse 18, Paul tells Timothy to make sure to tell them, to let them do good, that they may be rich in good works. Not just rich in this present age, but rich in, their life is just filled with, the riches allow them to do all kinds of good things for others, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the life to come. 
right? In this life, this life is going to directly affect your eternity. Last week we read you come into the world naked. Most certainly you're going to go out of the world naked. You can't take anything with you. Or can you? Because the message of Jesus is don't lay up treasures on earth. Lay up your treasures in heaven. You can use everything you have, every talent, every gift, every possession, every breath, every moment you can use in this life for storing up a good foundation or laying up treasures in heaven. And, and then Paul says this word, we read it last week too, it's one of um, the things that Paul repeats is that they may lay hold on eternal life. Command those that are rich to get hold of eternity. Right? You go to the graveyard and, and one day it'll say Rob Verdine, 1966, dash. And then my life will be over. And, and it, you, know, you say, that's pretty much how short our lives are. Our lives are the little dash. And laying hold of eternity, you recognize that. You recognize how brief this life is. And you use this life for that which is eternal. What's going to matter to me in eternity? If you can think that way, you lay hold of eternal life. I, I read of a, a famous uh, Christian couple, an Indian couple, that they served the Lord in quite a massive way and, and a very, very large ministry. And his wife, all the way, they gave away everything they had. And then the very last thing, when she died, after her husband died, she requested her diamond ring be taken off her finger and be sold and given to the orphanage that they oversaw. And I was like, wow, I mean, that's just, just, that's just leveraging this life to the very last act as you go out. Get, get a hold of eternal things. My pastor used to always say, made such an impact on me. He used to say a couple of things. He used to say over and over again, any dead fish can float downstream. Right? You have to be alive in Jesus to go against the current. But, but he used to say, you have one life to live. It will soon be passed. It's only what you do for Jesus Christ that's going to last. That's laying hold of eternal life. And, and so this guy goes away very sad. And those who heard it, the apostles there, and, and they said, well, who then can be saved? I mean, this is a rich young ruler. He's done all these things from the time that he was a, a youth. He's kept God's command. Who then can be saved? And verse 27, he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Or Matthew's gospel just says it a little differently. With men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Right? This is the black backdrop for Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. This is where Jesus prayed. And you remember there in the Garden of Gethsemane, outside of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, there was a garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus' soul was being pressed there. And, and where the, um, the crowd says to Jesus, well, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And there in the garden, Jesus was praying as he was just a day away from the cross. And he was, didn't want to go in his, in his humanity. 
Father, if it's possible, let the cup, drinking the cup of your wrath at the cross, he wasn't even so much dreading the physical horror as he was thinking about drinking the wrath of the Father in your place. Father, if it's possible to let this cup pass, but nonetheless, not my will be done, but your will. And he, pr- he prayed that three times. One of the Gospels says his soul was being pressed so much that uh, what is called hematidrosis began to take place, where he began, his capillaries began to burst and he began to sweat blood. Like, Father, if it's possible, if there's any way for men to be saved apart from me going to the cross, your, but your will be done. One gospel says an angel had to come and strengthen him. It was such a battle that he was in, such warfare. One gospel, I think it's Mark's gospel, says he started just crying out, Abba, which means daddy. Like, daddy, I am, in, I am conflicted. Daddy, you got to show me. That's, that's a beautiful prayer to pray, by the way, when you're really conflicted. Pray, daddy, daddy, you got to pick me up here. You got you to carry me through this. Because there was no way possible. There's no way possible for man to be saved apart from the cross. There's no way man can be good enough, religious enough, pray enough that it takes away his sin. Only the cross. The cross is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, Jacob's ladder. The cross is the only ladder that reaches to heaven. Well, that's where we left off last week. Verse 28, and then Peter said, we'll see It's like, if you know Peter, you just expect him to say something like this. See, we've left all and followed you. This this guy, he's sad. He wants his possessions. Not us, Lord. We've left everything. We've left all and have followed you. And you know what? This is the right response to the gospel as we study this together. This is the right response in contrast to the rich young ruler who went away sad. The, the apostles were following Jesus and they were willing to let go of everything else that Jesus, you're our first love God, you're the first and great love of our life and we're willing to let go of everything else to follow you. Listen to what Jesus' preaching sounded like and you'll understand why Peter responded like this. In, in Luke 9.23, Jesus said, This is why Peter's saying what he's saying. This is why he's saying, Lord, we've left all. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, you have to deny yourself. You have to say no to everything else. To say yes to Jesus and take up his cross daily. That means you're willing to put to death your own life, put to death your own desires. Put to death the flesh life. Lord, I'm willing to do that. To be, uh, take up your cross daily means you're willing to be identified in culture as Jesus' follower daily. I'm willing to be identified in our culture, just like a man walking through the streets with a cross on his back. I'm willing to be identified as, as your follower. And that, that's daily. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save, or 
The other gospels say, find his life. If you save your life, if you find a life for yourself, you're going to lose the life that the Lord has for you. You have to be willing to lose it. You have to be willing to forsake it and find the life that the Lord has for you. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it or find it. It's interesting in the world when you put your hands up, when you surrender, in the world you lose. But in the kingdom of God, when you put your hands up, when you surrender, you, you win. Right? You find the life that Jesus has. And, and Peter says, See, we've left all and followed you. He's responding to Jesus' preaching. Even, Jesus even gets clearer, and I want to read it to us on, on this occasion. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him. We're a great multitude. Probably the majority of us in this room would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm willing to deny myself, take up my cross. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'll be counted. I'm gonna, I want to follow him. I know he wants me to follow him daily and, and die to myself daily. And so too in this day, great multitudes went with him and he turned and he said to them, so first Luke 9, and as you keep listening to Jesus' preaching, you get to Luke 14. We're going to read this and you're going to hear Peter say, Lord, we, because we've, we've responded to you, we've left all. This is what Peter is referencing. When Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, he's talking about hating his own life also. And then we're going to read this three times. He cannot be my disciple. You've got to hate your mother, your father. You've got to hate your wife. You've got to hate brothers and sisters, hate yourself. Hate, wait, this just doesn't sound right. Jesus teaches we have to hate? Well, he's got your attention, doesn't he? Because it's a way of teaching to get the listener's attention. To, in other words, to say, if you're going to be my follower, I have to be the first love of your life. And the first love has to be so great that every other love in your life looks like hatred. That's how great your love has to be for Jesus first if you're going to truly be his disciple, be his follower. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, his own life also, then you, you can't be a disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, if, if you're not willing to die to your own desires and dreams and life and flesh, you can't be Jesus' disciple. Verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. You, you may consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and, and you may have come to a place where you've surrendered your life to him, and, and you recognize what he did at the cross, and you, and you want that, and you want salvation, and you want 
Christ's righteousness and your account, and, and you've, you're on your journey. But for all of us on the journey, at some point, we have to count the cost, whether I'm going to be a true follower of Jesus. And here Jesus calls us to be a true follower. He says, you've got to count the cost. And he goes on to say, lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him. And verse 30 saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And he goes on to talk about counting the cost and even a more powerful story. What king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able. Now listen to this. It's easy to miss this. Which, which king does not sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If you're going to be part of 10,000 going against 20,000, you got to be all in. It's got to be all if those 10,000 are going to win, you, it's got, you've got to be every single bit of you in if you're going to accomplish that goal. And that's what Jesus is calling for. Or else while, he is, while the other is still a great way off, way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace or really conditions of surrender. And, so, and this is what Peter's responding to. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has. It's the third time you, you can't be my disciple. You're not a true follower if you're not all in. Lord, my love for you is greater than any other love, and my love for you is so great that all other loves are hatred. And that's what Peter is saying. See, Lord, We've left all and followed you. He, this man's leaving, but we're all in. And so he said to them, verse 29, assuredly, whenever Jesus says assuredly, this is like bedrock truth for us as his followers. Assuredly, or this is the truth I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents, or brothers, or wife, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many more times in this present time, and in the age to come, eternal life. What we read here is that you can't outgive God. See, Lord, we've left all to follow you. That's right. And Peter, you can't outgive God. For anyone who's left house, you know, it's interesting. For I, I know Susie's very sensitive to this verse. I'm very sensitive to this verse because in 1995, I was 29 years old, and this is the verse that the Lord gave us when he was stirring us to move to Oregon. We had a house. We were about probably three miles away from the beach. You could ride to the, the, the bike paths to the beach. We had a swimming pool in our backyard. Susie's parents were our best friends, so to leave house or parents. Her brothers were some of our best friends and so important to us. 
And it was a tremendous cost to, to leave that. But Lord, we're willing to go. And boy, has God fulfilled that in our lives. Boy, has he outgiven us many times more in the present time. Boy, how God has blessed our life. 29 years here. Just the two of us and a little baby coming up the five freeway to a little church in a senior center. If you know the story, we used to have 12 or 18 people in the church, and we would always get 20 bulletins made in case we had visitors. Boy, has God blessed us many times more in this present time and in the age to come. You can't, what Jesus is saying is you're never going to outgive God. Whatever you give to follow him, he, you, he will not be outgiven. I think of Luke 6, which Jesus taught earlier in this gospel. Another one of my favorites. You know, we all, as the Lord saves us, as we start becoming his true followers, every one of us has to come to a place to say, am I going to be a giver at this church? Or am I going to be, just be a taker? And if everyone in the church gave with the same sacrifice that you give, how healthy would our church be? If everyone gave with the same sacrifice that you give, how healthy would, would there even be a church? And you know, all of us, you can't, you can only grow so far in the Lord to where the Lord really begins to deal with you. Am I going to be a giver? Or am I just going to hold on to everything? And it's like a picture of, of like you having like a napkin and you're just holding on to that napkin. That's, that's mine. Like just to break off even a little corner, that's my napkin. And it's like the Lord has this massive blanket for you. But you're just, I, I could never give up any of my little napkin. He has so much for you, but you've got to learn to give. And Jesus says, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. Like as you give, as it's hard for us to give, God will just give back so much, it'll just be running over, overflowing out of your life. And this is a very interesting principle with the same measure that you use. It's so interesting that you. You actually get to determine how generous God is going to be to you. You're, you. You determine the standard for your life. How, how much you give is how much God will give back to you. He will not be outgiven by you. How much of your finances, how much of your, your wealth you're willing to use for him, how much of your life you're willing to use for him, he will not be outgiven by you. If you become a giver, he will give back and give back and give back many times more in the present time and in the age to come, eternal life. And, and human generosity, listening to Jesus teach, is rewarded by divine generosity. Human generosity. The more generous we become, the more generous the divine becomes in every area of our life. In this life and in the age to come, 1 Corinthians 2.9, one of my favorites, eye has not seen, maybe you know it, your eyes never seen it, ear has not heard, 
nor have entered into the heart of man. Eyes never seen it, ears never heard it, your hearts never even thought of the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that amazing? Like, God is the great giver. We, we give, like, okay, I know God's a great giver. You, you can't even conceive what he wants to give back to you. So I want to I finish with a question as we come through this story, and we'll pick up uh, next week uh, as we uh, finish Luke 18. But I, I want to bring up a question. What's the right order for our lives would you say this, uh, this is the right order? God first, then family, then I'll use my life to minister to others. Or would you say the order is God first, and then ministry, and then family? You say, well, it's <laughs> pretty easy, pretty Christian 101, like pretty easy. Everyone knows that it's, and you can go back to the slide, God, family, and ministry. But isn't it interesting that it's, it's not that simple? Because there's a, there's a tension here, like there's a tension in so much of the Bible, it's not just a shallow, oh, I just shallow, oh, it's so easy to understand. It's God, family, ministry. So, I mean, it's, there's actually, there's, it's, there's a much deeper struggle. Like, yes, of course, the answer is God, family, then ministry. But bring our text back up. Bring up verse 29 again, and you'll see the tension. The truth is, I... I Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house, parents, brothers, wife, your children. Uh, our gospel says, and you can just leave it there, our gospel says for the sake of the kingdom of God. The other gospels say, um, for the gospel's sake, one gospel says, Jesus says, for my sake, right? What you're reading about is attention. Yes, God, family, ministry, but there's attention. There will be times that as wonderful as a house is, as central as a house is for my family, that God is asking you, I'm asking you to leave that. For my sake, for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom. How wonderful parents are. How blessed to have, like, one of the crowning things of our marriage. Susie's parents just are strange, our best friends. And the Lord was saying, leave. Yeah, family's first, but God's asking us to leave family. Brothers, sometimes it means being away from the wife you love. Yes, it's God, then always my marriage, my family, but there's a tension. Sometimes following Jesus will mean that it costs you. Being away from the wife I want to be with. Being away from the kids I want to be with. And church history is a record of the most marvelous men and women of God who at times have made even the greatest sacrifice with their life 
in order to love God first. So there's a tension there. Yes, it's God, then your family, then ministry. But if you're alive to Jesus, if he's the great love of your life, you'll find a tension. You'll, you'll find that there's a place sometimes when, yeah, I've got to give up the house. I've got to be away from my parents. I've got to be away from my wife to fulfill this. I have to leave my kids. I used to call it when my kids were small, and I had to be away for things of the Lord. I felt like someone was stealing something from me to be away from the kids at those ages, but that's that tension, like for this short season, I need to be there. That's where the Lord is leading, and there's, there's a cost. Why don't we stop there this morning? It's uh, not the end of uh, stopping to meditate on this. It's a text to think on and be challenged by, and I, I pray the conclusion will be, Lord, see, we've forsaken all to follow you. You're first. And we're going to take communion and we're going to move in that direction. We'll have the worship team come up. And I'd like us to just bow our heads for just a minute. And you know, it, it may be that you're someone here today and um, it's, you're just coming to grips with the, the, it's the reality that the, the Lord's eye is on you. He loves you. He's, his, his gaze is on you. And the, and the truth be told that uh, you haven't yet come to him. You haven't yet become a true follower of Jesus. It, it may be that what Jesus said with men, it's impossible. That may be you. Yet, no matter what you try to do, it's impossible for you to save yourself. It's impossible for you to do good enough. It's impossible for you to pay your own debt. But Jesus has paid your debt. Jesus has been good enough. Jesus fulfilled the law of God perfectly. And he wants to put that in your account. If you'll turn from your sin and turn to him. If you'll come to him. And you can do that right where you sit. You can come to Jesus and you can pray that, Lord, I receive that. Lord, I receive the, the payment that you made. You made a way possible to the Father. And I receive that. I receive what you did at the cross. Maybe you've never received that. Maybe you've never come to a place where you've come to Jesus and it's not just that you're, you're reciting truth, but you're truly coming to him and you have a heart to want to follow the risen Lord Jesus. And you can do that right where you said, Lord, here, here am I. I, Lord, just for, you could just pray that, Lord, forgive me of all my sin. You could put your, you don't have to do it physically, but you can put your hands up in your soul. Like, I surrender. I'm, I want to lose my life to find the life that you have for me. That's never happened. And you could pray that. That could be so powerful if the Lord heard you in the context of what you, you've been listening to this morning. If you would say, Lord, I surrender. I want to lose my life. And I want, to, I want to find the way. I want to find the life that you have for me. And, and he who loses his life will save it. You could just say that, Lord, save me. If you don't know if you're saved, you could pray that, save me. I think for the large majority, we, 
We're part of a, a crowd that considers ourselves followers of Jesus, and yet Jesus calls us to count the cost. There are so many things that become idols, or they can become idols, good things, things that are gift from God, or gifts from God, but if we let them become the greater love, and maybe God will put his finger on something that, that that's, that's in danger of being an idol for you. That's, that's becoming a greater love than your love for me and your love for my gospel and your love for my kingdom. And I think for the, the larger crowd today, it's a question of, Lord, I want you to be the first love, the great love. And you can just tell them that, that it's a love story, really, that, Lord, no other love like the love I love you with. It's a reciprocal love is what you're, you're speaking out. You loved me. You gave all for me. And, Lord, I forsake all to follow you. You're first. It's a question. What, what are you willing to count the cost? Ten thousand against twenty thousand. Are you are you willing to be all that you are? You're all in. Because that requires a response, and you can respond in your heart. Am I all in? Why don't you even ask the question, am I all in for the Lord? Just ask it. Kind of say the words just between you and the Lord. Lord, am I all in for you? And maybe pray a prayer that, Lord, I, I want to be all in for you. knows your heart just talk to him about what's going on in your heart sometimes things will surface in a message like this like we think of something then we go no no I'm not going to think about that because I don't, I don't want to deal with that I don't, I don't want to have to bring up that subject but the Lord, maybe the Lord's bringing up that subject and you thought of it and you're like no no no, no I don't want to think about that but maybe you're supposed to think about that Maybe you're supposed to ask a question about it. Maybe ask the Lord, Lord, that seems to be there. What is it you want me to know about that? stand up. We're going to come during this song and take the bread and the cup back to our, our...